Revelation is going to be, I think, really important book for us. I think lots of people look at what's happening in the world, whether it be floods or bushfires or Trump or all the things that are happening, and wondering, is this the apocalypse? And the book of Revelation, I think, is really helpful for us. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, whatever's going on in our world, God actually speaks here and shows us the world as it really is, past, present and future. And forget about the wacky sci-fi interpretations of Revelation. Uh, What you began to see uh, last week, or if you haven't, make sure you do listen on our our website or podcast um, and make sure you pick up today, you will have got the Bible study notes and the the sermon uh, outline for today. And let me just introduce what those are for you. So each week I'm trying to have a sermon outline because heaps of the book of Revelation is based on the Old Testament. And I'm going to try and draw out some of the Old Testament references. You'll be able to take those home. You can take notes as we go. The Bible studies are for you, um, and you can use them individually or as a couple, uh, which is great, or even better, in a home group. Uh, and so what you've got is an introduction to the book of Revelation. So the idea is you could get to do that this week. And you get to read there Paul Barnett's little introduction. It's just an extract from his book, uh, Apocalypse Now and Then, reading Revelation today, where he does a little explanation of how do you actually go about reading this book of Revelation. And for those of us who are feeling a little bit scared or not sure how to approach the book of Revelation, you'll find that incredibly helpful. And you'll see some reflection questions there. And so that would be, if you like, in your home group, the first study that you would do um, just to get into the book of Revelation. And of course, I've been encouraging everyone to look at the Bible Project Overview, and there's a link to the YouTube clip there. Um, So you just get a big picture of how it all fits together. And I think you'll find that, hopefully, really, really helpful. And going on after that, then there's 12 more studies, which I'm hoping should help you this term and next term. So hopefully... Basically, then that gives you six studies this term and six studies next term to do in your home groups on the book of Revelation. That's the plan, and I hope that you get to uh, enjoy that going deeply and richly into this wonderful book. You know, it's important that we pray, and so I'm going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this apocalyptic letter from Jesus to encourage us. Thank you that you show us that you're working your purpose out in the midst of tragedy and suffering and spiritual warfare. Thank you that you show us where victory is to be found and how it is that we can conquer. Please be with us as we open your word today. Speak to our hearts, to our minds and our lives. Help us to put into practice the things that we learn so that we might honour and glorify you. Not only this this week, not only today and this week, but forevermore. Amen. Well, this first vision of the book of Revelation is here to show us how it is that we can conquer without compromise. Uh, You and I face pressures, whether they be apathy or affluence or immorality, suffering or persecution, not just here in Sydney, but around the world, including places like Iraq. And John's teaching you and I today that as Christians, we can have confidence. We don't often feel confident, but we can have confidence because Christ has conquered. And so we don't need to compromise on the things that are pressuring us. And let's face it, we're feeling the pressure, aren't we? We feel a lack of confidence. I think this year has been a very subdued start to the year and the bushfires, the drought, and now we have the floods coming in, has made it a very subdued start and I think people are really reflective of what's going on in the world. They're not feeling that confident and so today we 
Let's find where we can find confidence. Let me show you what John shows us. Uh, Just remember the book of Revelation, this vision is not meant to be taken literally. The things that are unfolding in here are symbolic. And I'll try and show you how that works as we go. But basically, this huge vision has three things, three huge contrasts, which each tells an important truth that makes a difference in our lives. The first one is that Jesus has come, but he's coming again. The second one is that John is stunned but alive. And the third one is that we, the lampstands, are suffering but brilliant. Firstly, let's look at how Jesus has come but is coming. The book of Revelation couldn't be clearer that Jesus Christ is coming again. You and I and every single person on this planet has an appointment with Jesus. It's locked in. It's been confirmed. We just don't know the day or the hour. We don't know when or where. Uh, But we know that he's coming and he's going to come in the clouds of heaven. And uh, Revelation does this. It does this by constantly drawing on the Old Testament imagery and particularly Daniel here and Zechariah. And you'll see in the outline that I've um, shown you particularly the key verses that he's quoting. Daniel 7.13 and Zechariah 12.10. Daniel 7 says he's coming in the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man is coming. And he's bringing all things under God in Christ. Zechariah 12 says, They who pierced him will mourn. And what we learn as we see John bringing these things together is that the whole world is God's mission field. Whether we're here in Sydney or like we see those children in Iraq. That we're all part of his plan to make disciples of all nations. And judgment day is coming. We all have that appointment. And we need to be ready. Because judgment is up to God. Now, the problem is you and I in our heart of hearts are actually think we're pretty good at judging other people. We're very aware of other people's flaws and we're just not very aware of our own. And I tell you um, how I know this is true because I watched the show Survivor. Now, I don't know if any, any other Survivor fans out there. What I love about Survivor is that you see people's faults and flaws so clearly, but they can't see it for themselves and how the the, uh, the tribe works and the community and the game works. It's a wonderful little microcosm of kind of life and, and reminds us that this is actually true of each and every one of us. And I want to challenge you today to think about the fact that if Jesus Christ is coming back at any moment, it's going to challenge how we live now and the things that's happening in our lives. And we need to be ready to meet him. We need to be doing what God wants us to be doing. So when he comes back, when we come for the appointment, that we're ready for the appointment. On the other hand, Judgment Day should make us willing to look at others. And we, yes, we see their flaws and their faults. But in our heart of hearts, to be able to say, it's okay, God is the judge in the end. God is the judge in the end. Who am I to be a judge of anybody else? And to be, on that account, a less critical person, a more humble person. Now, there are some of us who struggle with this more than others, but maybe that's a word for you today. That knowing that God is, Jesus is coming and God is the judge, what would it take for you to be less critical, to be more humble? If you really grasp the second coming of Jesus, would that really enable you to get that in your life? That would give you the why to do the how, wouldn't it? We know it's good not to be less judgmental of others, but if you struggle with that, here's the why on how to do the how. 
Because only God has the right to judge. Because he has conquered. And our job is to get on with his mission. To get on getting people ready to meet Jesus. That's what God wants us to be doing, doesn't he? So if you're following on the notes, we're up to point two. John is stunned but alive. And I have tried to leave a little bit of space if you do want to write notes as we go. John's stunned but alive. I think the second big thing that we see in this vision is that when John saw Jesus, he said it was like looking into the sun. Now, I don't recommend this. In fact, I know you're not supposed to do this, are you? Um, Check with doctors or optometrists or someone later. But I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to do this because it's really, really bad to look into the sun. Like burns out your retina or something like that. Uh, the sun is a furnace. I saw recently they they'd actually took some really incredible photos, the best and photos that they've been able to take yet, uh, NASA, of the sun's surface. The sun is a furnace. And when John has this vision, he said it was like looking into the sun. And there was this noise, like a storm brewing around them, like all the oceans of the world were smashing so different to the soft skin, long haired, flowing Jesus with blue eyes picture that we see in Hollywood, uh, isn't it? Anybody can stand before that kind of Jesus, the Hollywood Jesus, but how do you stand before this conquering king who's blazing like the sun with the noise of the oceans? Have a look with me at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. You can imagine those words booming in the vision of John as he sees Jesus. And he feels as if he's dead. It's so significant because it's not just John's vision here. What we're meant to see is him uh, bringing out the Old Testament visions of God himself in the Bible. And I want to put, put to you that this verse, there is no stronger claim in the Bible, to the divinity of Jesus. There is no stronger verse in the Bible which shows you that Jesus is God himself. He's not just a human being and we should follow his example. No, he is the God of the universe. And you realise that when you realise you see him fulfilling the Old Testament. His face is shining in all its brilliance. If you look right at the sun, it will burn your retina. If you look at God... In the Bible it says you cannot look at God's face. And And yet here is John looking at Jesus, the divine king, the conquering king. And he doesn't die, he lives. He fell at his feet as though dead, but he lives. He's stunned, but he's alive. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has a vision of God and it's just like this one. Now I don't know how well you, you know the book of Daniel But it's that one where he falls to the ground and an angel comforts him. And here we have the claim that Jesus is God. But notice that in this case, it's Jesus who comforts John. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. The God of glory and power and majesty and the God who comforts and is personal. Genesis 2 tells us we were built for the face of God. That everything you've sought, all the significance, all the beauty, all the love is found in him. You were built for him. But the problem is Isaiah, as we see in Isaiah chapter 6, and if you just flick over your um, sermon outline there. In Isaiah 6, as the prophet Isaiah is ushered into the throne room of God in a grand vision, 
It's traumatic and fearful. Why? Because his sin is so clear to him. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord. Sin is that aspect in our hearts when we centre our life on ourselves rather than on God. When we do things to make us feel happy or good or fulfilled, not seeking to honour and glorify God. And if you try and build your self-image, if you try and build your life on any of those things, they will ultimately be washed away, burnt down, destroyed. Anyone who's lived in this world, and we're so acutely aware of this in the recent months, knows this. It's agonising, it's death. So what's the answer? If you can't look on God's face, and yet you were made to gaze on his face and his beauty and his love and his majesty, Revelation tells you how you can have that. Verse 18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. There's only one person that can let you in to heaven. It's Jesus. He has the keys. The Lord himself, whose face is shining, touches John. He says, don't be afraid. I've died and I've risen again and I have the key. Don't be afraid, John. The judge at the end of all time has entered into the middle of of history and has taken the judgment on himself. He went to hell for you and for me so that you and I can live in his presence forever. So we can conquer and not compromise. This is incredibly life-changing. Thirdly, we the lampstands are suffering but brilliant. Have a look at verse 19. Write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And you remember last time, last week, I reminded or showed you that numbers are really important in the book of Revelation, and the number seven is particularly important because it means completeness. And This uh, letter going to the seven churches means it goes to all the churches, every church, including us, St. Martin's Calara. This is Jesus' letter to us. Because the lampstands are the churches, the light of the world. You and I are the light of the world to bring the light of the gospel of Christ. But notice it's the churches that are going through suffering. As John is writing this book, he's an old man. He's realised that life is hard and he's going to die and he's there in exile on Patmos because he stood up for Jesus. This 86-year-old man is having to do work in the quarries as hard labour on this island of Patmos. And what he sees in this vision in the midst of the lampstands is a figure walking as if in a furnace. Affliction is often called a furnace in the Bible, isn't it? We can't help but be reminded of Daniel. Chapter 3. Remember that, that part again in the book of Daniel where Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, remember that? They get thrown into the, fur- the furnace and I've got it written down there. And Nebuchadnezzar, because they won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, they won't compromise. And as they go into the furnace, the king sees men walking around. But he doesn't see three, he sees four. And the fourth is like a son of God. And the message to Daniel is the message to the churches, is the message to us. Fear not, says God, I'll be with you in the furnace. And the figure in Daniel, well now we know, Jesus went through the fire 
He went through the cross. He went to Jerusalem, to that cross in Jerusalem, so we can come to the new Jerusalem. And our God doesn't just feel bad for us when we suffer. No. Our God came to earth. He was placed in the ultimate furnace. He got the ultimate suffering. He literally walked there for us. And when you see him taking that for you, he ref- it'll refine you. It'll make you more like him. You'll realise you can conquer. You don't have to compromise. It's not that hard, and it's very hard. Do you believe that Jesus took the ultimate furnace for you? You really believe that? And that he's coming back to bring you home to be with God forever? It's hard to face suffering, to face the pressures of the world that we live in, to make decisions, to stand up for Jesus. But all the suffering we face is small by comparison when we see what Jesus does. Instead of making you bitter, it makes you bolder and it makes you kinder. And you see on the sheet, I've listed a few of the areas which I think we are all tempted to compromise. Maybe apathy, maybe that's it for you. Have you become a bit complacent in your faith? Have you taken God for granted? Or in the affluence of the world that we live in, do you find it hard to be generous with what is given you? Do you find it hard to give him your first and your best? And it's tempting just to give him whatever's left over of your time, your talents and your treasure. Or maybe the pressure for you at the moment is immorality. It could be sexual immorality, it could be alcohol, it could be any kind of temptation before you. Or maybe it's persecution. Maybe you're feeling silenced at work among friends or families to even mention Jesus, to even mention that you're a Christian, to, to think, oh, how would I answer their questions? John's vision assures us with a depth of confidence that the roots of God's love and Christ's victory go down when we see that Jesus is the conquering king. To know what it means to conquer, not compromise, because of what he's done for us, the one who conquered for us. I want to show you what that looks like. I want to tell you the story of an old man named Polycarp. A frail old man, he lived just a few decades after the Apostle John. And on February 22nd, in the year 156, the frail old man Polycarp was arrested for being a Christian. He's one of those kind of prayerful old Christian blokes, a retired bishop who had, I imagine, kind of that little twinkle in his eye, never complaining but trusting in Jesus. And in his old age, as an active Christian, he refused to worship Caesar. Now, that was the pressure from the community and from people all around in those days. You had to worship Caesar You had to give him the honour and glory first, not talk about Jesus. And some people reported him to the secret police and they swooped and heavily armed. They came in, they arrested him in his farmhouse. He was staying with friends a few kilometres out of Rome. They took him to Smyrna and the proconsul there, his name was Stadius Quadratus, he was at the stadium watching the Friday night games, kind of like the Big Bash back in those days. But it wasn't cricket. There's a huge crowd watching the afternoon's entertainment of gladiators and wild beasts. And they heard Polycarp being arrested and they called for blood, chanting his name. There he is, this 86-year-old man standing in front of the proconsul in his royal box at the stadium. And everyone's watching, straining to hear what's happening. And Quadratus tries to talk him into denying his faith. It's easy, he says. All you've got to do is say, Caesar is Lord. Deny Jesus. Sacrifice at Caesar's statue. And we'll let you go. You know what Polycarp said? 86 years I have served him. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king 
who has saved me. He said, hear plainly that I am a Christian. And if you want to learn the doctrine of Christianity, make a date, join a Christian Explored group, I'll be happy to tell you about it. Well, something like that, I'm sure he said something like that. When they hear the crowd, it's, it's booing. They want to see Polycarp put to death. A bit of extra sport for the evening, you know, a super over and all that kind of thing. And Polycarp won't change his mind and so they tie him with his hands behind his back and they lay him on top of the wood pile and they burn him alive. And an eyewitness said you could hear him praying over the crackling of the flames, giving thanks to God that he had the strength to stand the test. And you know, if people like Polycarp, it was for people like Polycarp that the book of Revelation was written. People who face the reality of that kind of persecution every day. Like those Christian children in Iraq. Like us here today. Now, we're a pack of wimps when it, when compared to uh, sticking up for Jesus to those guys, it feels like. John is in exile for spreading the gospel. And Polycarp was burned. And one day it might be like that for us. In the meantime, the worst we're up against, generally speaking, is friends who laugh. But yet we do face decisions, maybe in our workplaces, as to what we are prepared to do and to say. What it means to stand up for Jesus. Now I know there are Christians who'd rather bungee jump out of a helicopter than tell their mates they're a Christian. Why is that? Well, maybe the problem is we've got a disproportionately small picture of Jesus. Friends, I want you to remember this. We've got a king who's the king of kings, the conquering king, the lord of lords. And so we ultimately have nothing to fear except unfaithfulness to him. We can conquer, not compromise, because of what Jesus has done. And as Polycarp's followers wrote down when they finished, and you can see it down the bottom, Stadius Quadratus was proconsul, but Jesus Christ is king forever, to whom be glory, honour, majesty and an everlasting throne from generation to generation. Amen.